Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Dung Dhammang Sangang Namasami So today we talk about Chitta mind and using the Reference to the Satipatthana Sutta, as well as the Anapanasati Sutta. So this is a time when we into the, uh, you know, we are in the middle of the retreat, third week coming along, and firming things up. So having some time to <clears throat> ventilate and settle and sort of tidy up the various. Uh, topics and energies and so forth in practice and that's an ongoing so it's not like you stop one and you start another but as that become things settle more things become clearer more settled then uh, contemplating coming to, to meet chitta mind not just the various formations and um, content and narratives that it, that it brings up and gets involved with. Mm. So this requires quite a lot of firmness and, and skill to really sense, uh, to be able to get through to this uh, jitter itself. And jitter is uh, mind, awareness, heart, and it's always kind of filmed over with the sense I am. So when if you you ask the question or you think of the word I am and not here I am or I am, then you're gonna come up with the experience of chitta. Before I am gets tagged onto another word, such as happy, elated, depressed, frantic, whatever, just the very sense of I am is a kind of colloquial, simplistic way of pointing to what's being referred to as citta. Um, occupies a certain um, center to our experience. Now, in Satipatthana, we have the what's called the third of the four establishments. <coughs> And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust. Mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. He understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate. And mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected 
by hate, understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and mind affected, unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion. He understands contracted mind as contracted mind, and distracted mind as distracted mind. Understands exalted mind as exalted mind, and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. Understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind, and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. Understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind, and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. Understands liberated mind as liberated mind, and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. (laughs) It's fairly consistent, isn't it? This way abides contemplating mind as mind internally, or abides contemplating mind as mind externally, or abides contemplating mind as mind both internally and externally. Abides contemplating mind its nature of arising, its nature of vanishing, its nature of both arising and vanishing, or mindfulness that there is mind is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. Abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating mind as mind. So, one thing that's missing from this is the sense of the word I am. It's significant. You realize how how instinctive that uh, that reflex is, and how um, just overcoming or working against that reflex and all that it brings up. Once the I am contracted or I am liberated gets in, then certainly I am is going to do something about it. I want to do something about it, and in the sankharas, the volitional tendencies rise up in terms of uh, wanting more, wanting less, speculation, resistance, indulgence, whatever, you know, it it goes on like that. But what does not happen is the ceasing of I am. The I am goes on to a fortunate destination or an unfortunate destination, but it remains camped out in that destination. And uh, so, you know, certainly one is encouraged, if you're going to camp out anywhere, then camp out in the good places. <laughs> uh, but they won't last. <laughs> That's the unfortunate piece, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, even, you know, looking at retreat, and then something one actually inclines towards, wants to do, pretty quiet place, pleasant place, and then, Naturally, there's a sense of restlessness, or oh well, here we are again, another day. You know these kinds of things. How the I am wants to move on to something else. So we abide within that boundary, or or we don't. You know, but certainly the advice is to abide within and try to 
just hold that form and contemplate that which moves within that, identifies with it. Uh, so you see the mind internally, externally means how it's, you see it in relationship to the particular external object. Mm. You know, such as, well, I don't know, you know, routines or forms or environment or other people. You see how you kind of begin to make something out of them or her or the room you're in or something or the other. Mm. So you contemplate what the mind is doing in terms of how we're regarding the external experience in relationship to I am. <clears throat> it's very, I notice this, and it's sort of, it creeps up gradually, certainly in, in the gone forth life, in bhikkhu life, people are often really very, very keen to get in, and then after a few years, very, very keen to get out. <laughs> So it's unstoppable pressure to get in and equally unstoppable <laughs> to get out. <laughs> uh, no, and yeah, you know. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, that. And then how we form into a position. You know, take a position. So. And that remains a kind of uh, a place of practice. Certainly, it's my own experience, yes, taking on bhikkhu life and then, you know, monastery, and then while really not liking monasteries very much at all, and all the routines, not liking them at all, even though in some ways you're kind of asked to go into it, and then you kind of, well, you could push that, switch that, turn that and the responsibilities and so forth, you know, where you feel yourself becoming the thing that you're in, as it were. You see yourself as within a form, within a structure, within a position. You find yourself, I am the person who mops the floor. I am, in my case, I am the senior monk. You know, and then, I don't want to be. <laughs> Because once you see things in that in that way, then you start to see everything that doesn't work with it. Like, why can't I just be an ordinary person? Why do I have to take responsibilities? Why can't I just be an ordinary person who nobody notices? I have to be on top of this, doing this, that, and the other. You get the kind of mind starts to create something out of it, and then even they're doing it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you see the mind externally. As uh, the people you're trying to train, and then why doesn't he get the point? Why does he have to leave? Why does he have to? Why does he understand? Why does he dislike me? Why does this kind of thing goes on? You see, this is you know to take responsibility for it, the mind. <clears throat> and just staying present, you know, you just come back. Here we are, breathing in, breathing out. What's really necessary or appropriate or suitable? And what's one's commitment? Where's that? And it, the feeling is it gradually it empties out. 
the um, the mind, the mind, the I am sense. Now, I, I've just noticed over uh, many years that the 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 gap between what I like and what I dislike gets smaller and smaller. <laughs> I can't say I get wild surges of great, fantastic, and oh, terrible. It's just all, mm, yeah, yeah. It could be this way. It could be the mind doesn't want to do it anymore. It doesn't want to buy into something or fight with it. You know, doesn't want to project onto it. Just feels how it's getting affected. And then you get quicker at that. Here you are, present, contemplate that. Breathing and breathing out. You know, not letting the mind get soured or depressed or, or if it is, contemplating as that. And that gradually over time, just being able to empty the I am, from choosing and resisting, favoring and objecting. <clears throat> this is not easy stuff, but it's the, you know, the, the what really comes up with long-term practice. So you get through good states and pleasant states and not pleasant states and places where it seems very still and silent and places where it seems kind of bogged down in petty little details or some silly little tune running around in your head you've been there for from some song you heard 20 years ago something pops up you think what's that shut up shut up So I sense is just kind of widening, softening, including it all, all the resistances, all the the fascinations. So the energy begins to unify instead of there's a me and an it. It's just this. It's just this. It's not a me and an it. It's just this. The, the either the energy of resisting or the energy of reaching out and holding on begins to subside. It's just this or an abiding in empty, emptying. And then one has to feel one's way with that, what's, what one's capable of. So in this Satipatthana refrain, you start with some fairly obvious things and recognizing, you know, it gets subtler. That the, what the mind is being held by gets subtler. What it's being pushed by gets subtler. So the first ones is um, affected, affected by lust. Lust is any kind of compulsive reaching out. So though it often has a sexual connotation. The word raga is uh, raga, is passion. So this could even be for um, immaterial states. For example, one could have called Arupa Raga, craving or lust for formless experiences. <laughs> it's I've got to have that. If only I could get that, then I'd be satisfied. You know, and I really need there's a pressure. I need the silence. I need this. I need that. I need, you know, push, push. You begin to feel the sense of being pushed and uh, pushed towards and then noticing that. Hate, exactly the opposite, resisting, disliking, being pushed away, the mind being 
not wanting to, dragging its heels, pushing back. So these we can see not so much as the particular topics, but just the energetic effects. And this is one way in which you begin to um, understand and get past the I am sense, which is really a view, and that happens by contemplating not so much who I am, how I feel, but just the the energy of of being a pushing and resisting, clawing and recoiling. So, well, whatever, you know, and is that really necessary or helpful? Can we see that? Can we get beyond that? Clawing forward, resisting. So what's recommended is kind of like even, even approach. <clears throat> Certainly in, in uh, training situations, these forms of reaching forward and push and drawing back, you know, they're, they're often around kind of really small things, like relatively small things, food, um, we might reach forward for, reach into the hot drinks or the sugar or something, where you can get that hit, and then withdrawing from tedium, you know, another day, withdrawing from that, chores, you know, get it done over and done with quickly so I can get back to the real thing. So this is particularly, uh, uh, naturally, a an inclination of meditators and certainly what you know in training monasteries um, Ajahn Chah would certainly give people a really good workout on this one (laughs) because there's a lot lot of surprisingly a lot of things going on morning chanting not particularly pleasant morning chanting but you know, voices down the tune and going the same old thing, chanting. Long time, voices down the tune. Jeez, this is it necessary for liberation? Mm. Or things like, you know, being in a hall where they've got a flickering neon tube. You know the way neon tubes hum? And it, and it flickers. Well, it's kind of, you know, things of that nature, or long, tedious discourses. I got the point, I've heard this already. (laughs) Or going to quite a good amount of rituals and ceremonies to go to, which you don't understand and don't know what's going on, but you go there and you do something which seems kind of pointless, when you could be in this really nice, blissful state, peaceful. And then... Here we are, nobody's bothering you, you know, it's moral, it's kind, it's not, nobody's actually doing any harm, it's still present, you can be aware of this. And all that energy of resisting and craving as you hold it, it's not that you're not supposed to have any resistance. It's not you're not supposed to have any resistance or craving, it's just you feel the energy of that. As you widen and soften and include it, it begins to transform into an energy of presence. So there's a particular transformation that comes through meeting one's edge, the edge of I am. And that's the thing, it's not to kill it 
or crush it or kick it away, but just to meet the edge, the I am edge of it. You know, can can you meet that? So this is you know relatively advanced. You know, we've begun to get some sense of calm and steadiness and you know, working with the mind, working with attention, intention, and then we come out of the the nursery into the place where you get a few, you know, things jarring or you know, not getting having too much, not enough. And there it is. Ah, how interesting. Breathing in, breathing out, softening, widening, including that. So we include uh, the whatever the I am is feeling its edge to be. The squirmy place. It could be a squirt, it could be a rigid place, a squirmy place, a seething place, a kind of wailing place. <laughs> the wailing wall of I am. And then we kind of come to that. Uh-huh. Yes, softening, widening, including it. So something happens when that energy is not not criminalized, but seen as a form, particular formative quality that the mind brings up. This is the quality, this very I am is that which takes us into birth and rebirth and, and ongoing becoming. So it's really good to, to witness it just that the very primary place, most basic instinct to get out to acquire and that idea, that view that one could acquire something. Uh-huh, well really. Or the view that we could be separate from and not have to experience what we don't like. Oh yeah? <laughs> Where does that happen? So. And then meeting that. So if you kind of, once you get the sense of that around, you know, these rather obvious energies that come up, and then rather than letting them proliferate into the stories or the, um, you know, the justifications or you try not to feel it, and uh-huh. and that energy will then slowly, gradually transmute, and it gives you strength, tremendous strength, strength and emptiness. There's an emptying of content, and a, like a strong, grounded openness that can come around. Delusion is a various uh, proliferation, proliferating tendencies. We have fantasizing, making things up, projecting, imagining, transferring our experience onto somebody else or other other things outside. You know, you transfer that, so somebody else's fault or blame or you know that so as long as we do this then naturally we are never in have authority over our minds 
Somebody makes me feel guilty. Somebody intimidates me. Somebody makes me feel unappreciated. Oh yeah? Who's that then? (laughs) How did they know how to do it? (laughs) How did they get the the script to do it? So that tendency, that spinning out. Now we can say, oh, then we see that. Well, I, I feel this is the experience I'm having, and it's, you know, we can recognize that something triggers that, and then come into terms with the, the very edge of that. So sometimes it's this sense of an inner lack of strength that makes us feel so much afflicted by external circumstances so much uh, you know the victim of external circumstances I'm sure we all experience that from time to time and with considerable um, reasons to do so but for liberation you know or awakening can can that experience not be dismissed or whatever but it's often included widening so we empty out that <coughs> this one of those famous suttas where the bhikkhu goes asks the Buddha if he can go off and live in the western country of India, somewhere near the Bombay region. Puna, I believe his name was, and the Buddha says, well, you know, those people out there, they're pretty rough, pretty rough lot. You'd be all right. He said, what, what about if they start, you know, uh, shouting at you when you're going an arm for He says, if they shout at me, I'll think, how wonderful, how kind these people are, they don't actually hit me. <laughs> they said, what if they do hit you? I'll think, how wonderful these people are, they don't actually kill me. <laughs> it goes on to this increasing kind of theme as it builds up. And they say, well, if they, if they hit me, you know, if they kill me, if they kill me, I'll think, well, I had to die one day or another. So I'll think, how wonderful they, they save me <laughs> from having to linger on <laughs> too long. <laughs> In other words, he wasn't particularly, uh, he was at peace with what ha- ever happened to the the I am sense, and of course this person is an arahant. <laughs> but that feeling of, of something is freed from, from circumstance. Understands the contracted mind, distracted mind, when it tightens up, when it goes into a flurry, so again, we're looking very much, not at topics, but as the energetic effect the topics and incidents have on us when we seize up, when we go into our shell, when we go clamping, something triggers that. And, you know, it happens, different things trigger things for different people, don't they? We all, but we all get triggered into that, you know, defense pose, contraction pose, trying to hold ourselves together. Mm. It's a natural reflex of feeling the energy of that. Come to that place, 
Pajanati, one understands it. One thoroughly is aware of it. It's not a conceptual understanding, but aware of that particular form, softening, widening, including that. There's that. Distracted mind where we splinter, we fragment into a flurry. That happens when we get shock. Shock often makes either contract and then distract. The contract is maybe the contracting is the first bit, and then you know blows out to fragmenting. This is what happens to I am's. They do that. It's an energetic effect. Softening, widening, including that. Breathing in, breathing out. Feeling present, feeling here, including that. Experience. This is possible. Okay, it's graduated, isn't it? And we're coming perhaps into you know, deeper and deeper levels of reactivity, some of it, we don't really even know why it's happening. But when you consider the very nature of what the I am sets up, it sets up, if I am this, there's something else outside this, isn't it? I am is a, a location, an established location, a view that establishes a location. But the mind doesn't have a location. Mm. So it establishes one. This is me. This I am. In a field of something much wider than that. It's aware of other things outside of the I am sense. It fears them. It anticipates them. It dreads them. It longs for them. It worries about them. What will I be in the future? What do other people think? How will I be when I meet so-and-so? What will happen on this day? How am I going to manage with that situation? There's always the thing beyond the apparent I am that is enticing us, uh, threatening us, uh, whatever, you know? How come? How come? If you're just an I am, how come you're aware of something else outside of that that's touching it? The truth of the matter is that the mind is not an I am. An I am is a location that's established where there's some solidifying or effect. And that solidifying effect is by no means always pleasing or skillful. It's affected by fear, anxiety, sense of lack, need, I'm getting mine, I'm hanging on to mine. Instinct, isn't it? The I am sense. So, I'm sure all of us in our various experience of life, you know, there are things that, times time, of course, there's powerful contractions of shock, defense, or distractions where we feel we can't manage, we've got to reach out, got to gobble something, eat something, you know, 
that kind of thing. Okay, here it is. It's not. This is known. This is acknowledged. This is part of the territory. And sometimes you can just be sitting in in the hall with nobody apparently doing anything to you or bothering you, and then this things comes up. Something comes up. It's like an energetic agitation, flurry comes up, and you tighten up or distract. What does it take to be present, grounding here with that? This is what we've been trying to come to a stabilizing place, breathing in, breathing out, loosening, softening the body, here we are, mm-hmm. here we are. And then you, get the, you need to have the ground before you can get the space. So sometimes we really want the space, free space, you know, outside of this, but you won't get the space until you've got the ground because the awareness cannot open until it feels some sense of being having a root, a present to stand on to open up. And that's provided by body. That's why certainly I'm encouraging mindfulness of the body. I'm sure you've got that point. <laughs> Even though it's another, just another kind of location, still it's as it's the most reliable one you can you can get to counterbalance the effects of the mind psychologies. Exalted mind, unexalted mind, surpassed and unsurpassed. Now we get into much more sublime states when the mind is really lifting, opening, bright, expansive, uplifted. You know that okay subtle effect of expansion rising and expansion understands it does not get giddy with it does not spin off in it does not claim it this is myself <coughs> you know actually an exalted mind is rather more pleasant than the contracted mind So you're looking at kind of finer degrees of clinging. There's a famous example of Ajahn Tate, and Ajahn Tate, who was a disciple of Ajahn Mun. Ajahn Mun was the great forest teacher of the 20th century in Thailand. And uh, Ajahn Tate was his disciple, and he would go into these very blissful states. He just go, mind would just rise up, very jhana and bliss. And he'd do this, you know, he'd constantly do this. And Ajahn Mum would say, yeah, bones, sinews, teeth, marrow, get down, get down. <laughs> bones, sinews, teeth, marrow, get down. <laughs> You know, just get and get him out of this this tendency just to go in this very lofty, exalted state. And it took him twelve years to to get him out of it because his habit was to do that. So, <clears throat> recognizing that the exalted mind feels pretty liberated and free, but naturally it's um, it takes on it's a particular subtle form. This is what we call the 
attachment to um, or um, fine fine material or immaterial existence doesn't mean material as in cloth it means a sense of subtle form or subtle formlessness some surpassed and unsurpassed there is again the sense of the boundless mind concentrated mind the kind of luminosities and uh, um, tenacity of the concentrated mind and another example from Ajahn Man who is this, could actually get people through these particular pleasant states or affirmative states and of course Ajahn Mahabur another great forest teacher was a teacher of was a disciple of Ajahn Man. So he'd get into this uh, tremendously strong, very strong-minded, very very strong character, Ajahn Mahabur. And he'd get this, be able to go into deep samadhi, more or less a finger snap. And he'd really enjoy just being able to go in this deep state, anchored, rooted, grounded state. And um, he would do this. Uh, and so he was explaining his practice to Ajahn Man. Ajahn Man said, oh yeah, it's just like getting a piece of meat stuck in your teeth, that's all. It's just about that good, you're just stuck on something. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Ajahn Mahabur said, if it had been anybody else, I'd have killed him. Because <laughs> yeah, he said, he's that, that very, is a very powerful kind of, fairly, I think he'd been a fighter or something, previously he said, got a tremendously powerful mind, but then Ajahn Man just starts, kind of, well, so what, you know? And they helped him just to, to see the, the sense of attachment to it, that you can do this stuff. And so then he just had to can't, can't start reviewing and recollecting and considering and walking up and down and thinking things through and checking where his mind was holding on. So he began to find something else or a dropping of that. Liberated mind is liberated mind, unliberated mind is unliberated. So this is to do not so much with Nibbana, but um, the sense of, of uh, <coughs> freedom from hindrances and uh, mind feels very pure. Mm pure and radiant brightness of mind. Now, again, Ajahn Mahabur said, this is the real enemy of them all, <laughs> the radiant mind. Because <laughs> still, he says, if you look right in that, into that, you'll see there's a kind of holding of it, and that's what needs to be released. Now, this may not be particularly pertinent to your practice at this time, but uh, we're looking essentially at... Uh, forms the mind takes, not so much the topics, but the forms, the energetic form that it takes, uh, that then becomes the ground where the sense of I am this, or I'm in this, or I've got this, or I've attained this, uh, is experienced. And so we notice whatever we feel we've got, or stuck with, or attained, or not attaining, yeah, whatever that idea is or that feeling is, 
you look into that, just what's, what's the energy of that? If you're depressed, flattened, struggling, or pushing forward onto the next step I want to get to, just feel the energy of that, wide and soft, and include that. Mm-hmm. Breathing in, breathing out. Now the process of the Anapanasati Sutta <coughs> talks about this in various uh, stages. The first one is um, just being fully, thoroughly sensitive to, to the mind, to chitta. Once again, this could be the, the whole span of one's span of one's awareness that feels like I am I am here. This is this is happening to me. This is happening to me. And naturally within that, there's an energy to form a focus, isn't there? This is happening to me, so yeah, it's all happening to me. Then what particular, within that, one frames up an attention like breath, body, thought, concern, object of some kind, motion, external object, internal object, framing up of an attention. So, you know, noticing the mind then is really an activity, isn't it? an awareness and then a view I am this I'm here then the movement towards framing up something to get you know something to notice or get attend to or skillful or unskillful that's a mind is an an energy it's this energetic formation to to make something and this is where the Sankara comes in. So gladdening, so aware of that, first thing we we encourage you to do is a bipamodayam, training oneself to gladden, to bring around happy, skillful results, calming, gladdening, brightening, loving kindness, you know, what we're doing really with uh, uh, pomoja, joy, gladness, and the inclination towards uh, feeling settled and happy. Samadaham, the inclination towards samatha, calming, soothing, steadying. So, so we're saying, first of all, getting comfortable, feeling more comfortable, more relaxed, and gladdening, and then steadying. See if we can say, how can this get more simple and still? So that inclination. Freeing the mind from its uh, raggedness and hindrances. So it's kind of acknowledging what takes us out of stillness. And yeah, we drop that. Feeling actually setting the mind free from its future, its past, and its present inclination. Now this Vimoja here is not uh, Nibbana, but the what's called in the Satipatthana Sutta as the liberated mind. It means conditionally liberated, liberated from conditions, from certain certain uh, conditions. And then the final is uh, contemplating whatever that is, however it is. 
relative, changing, seeing with dispassion, not making anything out of it, niroda, ceasing to to keep planting something in that. The seed of favoring, the seed of opposing. So relinquishing, when that seed is, is not being planted, then the relinquishment can occur. Relinquishment of the view. So the planting of the seed of favoring or opposing and then the view behind that, I am, I want to be liberated. When will I get to, I am liberated. That view itself ceasing. So the enlightened one is someone who is considered to be a person of nothing. No, that particular seed is no longer planted. No, that's, that's the big view. Yeah. Um, And with all these maps, the uh, you know I can actually look at a map of the United States. It occupies about half a page. I could put it on a little um, mobile cell phone map of the United States. That United States is about. I tell you, it's actually it's only about three and a half inches big. You can cross from. Boston to San Francisco, about one and a half seconds on that map. Didn't take long at all. I don't know what the big deal is about it. <laughs> so we've just gone from complete ignorance to enlightenment. It didn't take that long, did it? <laughs> what about, what's that, 20 minutes? Walking the ground is uh, uh, that's what we do, <laughs> but it's to it's a reminder, you know, of uh, certain processes. Acknowledging what mind is, so mind as apart from mental formations, is sensitive, affected. Notice the word affected. Affected by. So the chitta is really a tremble, a tightening, a flaring, a loosening. It's, you know, it's, it's an energetic, being affected, something ripples, resonates, trembles, and so on. So the affective sense. So really thoroughly training oneself to know that as that, to be present with that affective sense. Uh, when you say something like tender heart, it makes it sound like one's kind of very sweet and nice. But tender heart just means how affected we can be by a voice tone, by the color of the sky. Mm. The most subtle things. And now in meditation retreat, you're really coming into how affected one can be by, you know, the way somebody's placed their shoes. Yeah. Color of a cup, flurry of snow, thought of a departed relative. That's the affected mind. And really, when we're firming up, we're also firming up 
refuge, awareness of that affected sense. It's the way that is. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the way it is. Can we be with that? Thoroughly pajanati, thoroughly understanding, aware, realizing what's here. Realizing what's here. It's this. This is the way it's, it is. And the various pressures, the affected pushing towards reaching out, pushing back, being pushed back, resisting, disliking, recoiling. As we're doing some of those standing exercises, swing onto the front of your feet, feeling yourself tense up there, and you calves, then back of your feet, tensing up in the thighs, lower back, and then is there a place between that where there's balance? If you do this in your body, you get a sense of just being moving between the pressures, and between those pressures, sensing at the same time just the, it doesn't take much to tip from one to the other. And aware of that tremendous potential of the effective mind. But also because of that sensitivity, we can sense just the movement towards balance, towards balance, towards balance. And nearly there, and then tipped over, favoring, resisting moving towards balance. And in the balance is where the mind experiences uh, something where the energies of of that and the apprehension of that energy can switch off. So I suggest that, noticing how these these patterns move in pairs, movement towards, movement away, often one will condition the other, and then it gets complicated. The feeling I can't move towards is going to create more resistance, you know, or I've got to move away, that's going to create more resistance. Just how do you find feeling the energies and leaving some of the um, psychologies to rest, not dismissing them, but noticing and trying to feel the energetic push of those energies, those psychologies. I am always that one. I never that one. Somebody else does. He gets a. I don't that one. Comparative sense. 
I'm the one who can't, that sense. I'm the one who's got to, that sense. I'm the one who never, that sense. Yeah. Okay, feel the push of that, interpret, translate that into particular energy, form, and we come into balance. Here we are. So it's through meeting these forms, these pushes, and just accomplishing from the pushed state back to the neutral through really experiencing those pushes and coming from the push, understanding its energy and then where does that just switch off? Then the energy of the push, one way or another, is released into the energy of balance, presence. Sense it like that, practice with it like that. It's certainly not about not having resistance or not having craving. It's about touching those and then from there, okay, can I, here I am, here it is, here we are, here we are, going to balance again. So that the energy of, of our, our I am sense can be felt, known, finds the place where it switches off. It's possible. It takes commitment. You know, the anecdotes are innumerable, but uh, I think, you know, I noticing just example, you know, I think I was uh, visiting the Chan Monastery in California, city of 10,000 Buddhas one time. And they, they have a, they get, they have a morning puja starts about three and it's an hour and a half chanting and bowing and then you, they do this power you stand up and you go down knees and you flew a full length then you stand up and, and it's, they have the particular rows with these clips on them you see so that when they go down their robes don't fall off but when i do my robe fall off so you go down robe falls off get up put it back again and then do another bit of another couple of minutes and we go down again and it falls off again you do this for an hour and a half and, you know praising some kind of Wayfarer or Bodhisattva or Bodhisattvas of the 15th direction or Buddhas of the innumerable directions as vast as the Ganges, as da 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 da, robe falling off. And everybody else has got the right kind of robe, my robe falls off. This is silly, this is pointless, this is even the true Theravada tradition, this is whatever the mind does, essentially. (laughs) After a while, you do it for an hour and a half or so in the morning and then in the evening and then every day. Actually, it's put the robe on again, fall off again, it's okay. You know, chanting to innumerable bodies, that verse as innumerable as the 
grains of the Ganges River, fine. <laughs> so, so, you know, giving up that, until eventually you're just quite happy doing it as part of, you feel the sense of emptying out the self-importance and all that it, its wishes. No, mm. it's around tedium. I would find tedium, real practice. Go to you know, not nothing harmful, just tedium. Mm. Go to the. Somebody used to take me to the Buddhist society summer school. Most of the time, just sitting around tables talking about nothing much to people. Hello, hello, Venerable Sumedho. Nice to see you. I was in Tanzania the other day and I saw so and so so and so. Shut up. (laughs) 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 Why can't we get down to some serious meditation? So it's actually not even bad ill will, it's quite people just being pleasant and just get so irritated about being being pleasant. Think, oh my goodness, you know, because I want to be in this kind of formless state and deep samadhi. And then you just need to see it after a while and say, okay, this too is practice. This too is practice. Here you are, present, meeting those edges, widening, softening including it, not hating it, not worrying about it, including all of that. Uh, So we're able to really start to firm up around the relationship, relationship of acknowledgement and relinquishment. Of all the places to firm up, this is the one that's um, going to be best in the long run. Of all the places to firm up, this one's going to be the best in the long run. There may be times when indeed we can be, you know, right, quiet and still, and the body's nice and comfortable, and the breath there, and you don't have a cold, and you don't have something wrong with your hip, and you don't have anything to worry about when you're daughter's doing or something like that. That may happen once a year. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So you get that time on retreat. And when I'm on retreat, I don't want anything to happen in the world. It's going to be totally healthy, fine, no problem, no body pain, nobody bother me, just just there. This is my retreat time. Please. You got there, and da, da 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 and then, what was that song that they used to, used to happen in the, oh, stop it, now stop it, surely it was just, no, stop it, you know, <laughs> mine kind of go, something or other, I wonder how so-and-so's getting on, oh, stop it, you know, so, best place to, to, we can, you know, firm up, in particular, rupa form states, and that's, yeah, that's good when it happens and an encouragement to do that just because it's even as an exercise in just you know 
letting go and firming up. And this is just a nice thing to do as a thing to do. You know? But it also has to be bearing in mind, you know, the thing that's going to be more long-standing significance is the ability to soften, widen, include it all. That feeling there's where the relinquishment can occur. And the two are not separate because it's through making a commitment, through you know firming up around certain things, we begin to feel the edge arise, the thing that pushes against that or wants to have more in it. So it's really the process of, of establishing a particular thing we're doing is both beneficial in its own right, also, you know, because it can give us a sense of strength and it's certainly, I would say, necessary, but it also prepares us, it sort of invites that which will start teasing us, provoking us, pushing us. And uh, you stand your ground. You stand your ground with that, but then you begin to include it. And include it. Uh, Welcome it, you know, if you like. Whatever helps you to just be present with that as an energy form, and it gradually will, so it will gradually change from being having a lot of details to it, sometimes cascades of details, uh, you know, perceptions, feelings, to just something more fundamental, you know, root wanting. It gradually comes down to something a little more finite. And then you say, oh, this is what's getting me born. And include that to let it dissolve. This is what's going to be for long-term significance when we're sick, when we're dying, when we're busy, when we're whatever. You know, it's going to be that knowing how to do that. It's going to be for a long-lasting welfare. So <clears throat> we have another few weeks, we have another few moments. We have one moment of practice. Let's use it wisely.